Greetings all, your friendly neighborhood Puka coming at you with three small announcements today. First, appropriately enough, given this was an episode about time, we had no shortage of disruptions to the recording for this episode. I've done my best to smooth over any issues, but your patience is appreciated for any hiccups. Second, our contest for designing a slua is still running. Send an email to podcast at changelingthepodcast.com to enter, and details can be found in the show notes to this episode. And third, if you haven't checked out our Discord yet, we are currently running polls to determine the shape of our next two seasons. Visit www.discord.me ctp to check out our community and cast your vote. Thanks very much, and on with the show. This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with us is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Natalie, hi. What are we talking about today, Puka? I think we're here to dispute what the term today even refers to, or any other expression of time, because we're talking about time and mm-hmm. the sort of various related timey-wimey things in Changeling. And don't worry, we'll keep it normal. We'll keep out the even weirder real-life physics stuff. That... Will we? Well, I don't know. Today is an arbitrary concept that we could have picked some other slice to have different parts of the universe where we describe them as what's today would actually be in a different time like star date yeah that's also arbitrary oh. well so why would we even talk about this in changeling in particular i suppose because time is one of those things that is very foregrounded in changeling but in a particular mm-hmm. way because you have like in vampire they're all eternal so that's one way to handle time in mage, they can sort of manipulate it, although often it's very vulgar and difficult. And they sort of have past lives that they can recall, although not always. Mm-hmm. And some of them are very long-lived. But changelings, like, by default, they're constantly reincarnating. They are engaged with this alternate plane that is built on memory and the past in large part. And they're also on borrowed time in the sense mm-hmm. that they will eventually probably become undone so all of those sort of aspects really create an atmosphere that is focused on the passage of time in the game and it informs a lot of the metaphors that they use to structure their society and their philosophy so yeah yeah. plus the whole mists thing makes yeah you know the whole history and memory way fuzzier than i mean it's pretty fuzzy in general but it's very fuzzy for changelings too we're not bringing temporal mechanics into this, but I would wager that the subjectivity of memory and history are perhaps even more complicated in this context. Yeah. I mean, I, I have my own head canon theory that it were table canon for what I do with history in the world of darkness in general, but hmm. <laughs> branching pasts rather than branching futures. But Ooh. Yeah, I don't know if it'll come up or not. But Well, that, that seems like as good a place to start as any in terms of talking mm-hmm. about history, and in particular, historiography, which is sort of the way in which history is framed. So the kind of lead question that I want to ask is, what do you think of as the phase take on their own history? Or as I put in my notes here, the good old days when we could turn people into shrubberies. Uh, I think for changelings, history is more classified as a creative writing exercise or (laughs) than as a science like not only is there lots of questions unanswered and, and ambiguity and stuff, but it's almost like 
the truth should be about the meaning, not about the facts, I guess, hmm. is, is the way a lot of Faye, regardless of kids, seem to treat history. Which I think is par for the course in World of Darkness games, to be honest. I mean, they leave a lot mm -hmm. of the historical details vague or give multiple viewpoints, so. Yeah, but like the Fae in general, like Changelings in general seem more like okay with that. Like they're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh yeah, that red caps are, where did vampires come from? Those are red caps. And it's like, no one, I don't think anyone actually really takes it seriously, but it's a fun story for them. They're more comfortable with their own uncertainty, maybe. Yeah. It's an interesting parallel to real world historiography in the sense that a lot of people kind of treat history as this objective thing, the single objective truth, but it gets murkier the further back you mm -hmm. go. And yet, even in an individual everyday sense, it's like if you say to your friend, hey, remind me what we did last week, they might have a very different experience mm -hmm. and memory of how things unfolded, how the same events unfolded. So, you know, I like that that's heightened. Like there's this theory in psychology that your consciousness is really just a narrative story that you tell for your memories. Whoa. Awesome. I support this. Mm -hmm. Well, regardless of how certain the Fae are about their history, within the books, we do get a few key points that recur regularly. So mm -hmm. there's the mythic age, the olden days, <laughs> the sundering, but to a greater extent, the shattering the mm -hmm. interregnum, and then the resurgence and accordance war. Yeah. What is the term for, like, things were better in the past and they just keep getting worse as, like, a view of histor history? It's got to be some uh, is it the, It's like the downward something or the decline of yeah. Kithane, or I don't know, something like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> so that's definitely up until the resurgence, and then it becomes a little bit murkier, but that could... <laughs> resurgence is not considered unambiguously great by the Kithane either, Yeah. So. Something we don't get much of, but which I think is more important than like the details of the mythic history is the idea we get in some Kith books that the Kith shift over time in response to human dreams. So mm -hmm. the mythic age, it's this kind of originalism that they think they can recapture, or actually they can recapture by going deep into the dreaming or maybe having this memory flash of Arcadia where they like get most in touch with the essence of their Kith. Yeah. And we don't see a lot of like fervent desire to reclaim that in an active way. But I mean, maybe the Beltane Blade is going to try. But, you know, it's it's like that wistfulness. There's this sense of like, oh, the Golden Age is gone forever, which even if they believe winter will come and then spring will follow and be this time of renewal, it's kind of like the resurgence has proved to them that it won't necessarily put them back in touch with this power that they have a distant memory of. Yep. So I find that interesting. The wheel keeps turning, but it still gets a little bit less bright each time kind of thing. Yeah. And I think part of that's kith based too in court, maybe actually yeah. more so. Absolutely. The Sealy view is definitely things just keep mm -hmm. getting worse. The unsealy view is it's getting different. Doesn't mean worse necessarily. Yeah. So loaded question, thinking about the sundering and the shattering. I actually, I think I know the answer to this already, but how yeah. canon is Dark Ages Fae, uh, in your opinion? <laughs> I don't... Okay, there's like Kithane history, but when you actually look at Dark Ages Fae, I just don't see how it can be the same thing at all as Changeling the Dreaming. Like, there's a few similarities, but it makes possibly more sense as a prehistory for Lost, even though a completely different setting than Changeling Lost than for Changeling the Dreaming. Like, it's just... 
it's not just that there's no kiss or that the history would have been bad, but like there's no dreaming, there's no yeah. glamour, there's no something maybe like banality, but it's so not it's disconnected. Yeah, you could contrive stories how it would be the history, but it's like you're doing so much heavy lifting at that point. Yeah, which I'm here for. I mean, I'll admit that yeah. I I love doing that kind of heavy lifting, so I'm happy to do. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that with like uh, Exalted the Fair Folk. That I <laughs> okay, no, that's Ages. fair. That's fair. But I mean, you have to heavy lift with either one, but I think you do even more with Dark Ages. And not only that, like you read the other Dark Ages games that came before Dark Ages Fae and it looks more like Changeling. It's like, this is... Yeah. I think it's possible to take kind of elements from it and fold them into mm -hmm. modern changeling lore. That's what C20 did. Yeah, well, but even kind of heightening it more, because C20 just yeah. kind of says like, oh, there's a vague memory of it. But I think you could point to it, like in terms of the magic, you can say, oh, Faye remembered that they used to unleash all the time and it was a lot more mm -hmm. powerful and not quite as yeah. wild. So the unleashings they have now are almost like rubbing salt in the wound. It's like, huh, you used to be able to do this a lot more easily. And I would yeah. say that that's the better golden age for them to point to directly, because especially among commoners, their lifetimes that they recall, I would say if you have a high enough remembrance, you can probably remember the shattering without too much effort. Like it's not that mm -hmm. many lifetimes back compared with yep. the mythic age. I think that would inform any conservatism among them more than the deep history. I also really wish we got like anything about the interregnum. <laughs> that would be... Yeah, that, that would be nice. Be. And I mean, you should be able to do before the shattering or right during the shattering, maybe even you'll have to do some like serious actual game development for your table. But for running the entire interregnum, it's mostly just making some backgrounds really, really hard or non-existent. Like it's not this you're playing changelings in the 17th century or something. It's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And mechanically, it's easy. But setting-wise, we just get so little. That's my complaint. Yeah. We do get some. We do get history chapters that talk about things, but... Well, but we get history chapters that go from the Shattering to the Industrial Revolution, which is a good 500 years. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, well, I thought over. Isle of the Mighty has some stuff. And... That's true. They had enchanted PowerPoints or whatever. Yeah. There's a few things, and it's... It'd be like running in it, Changeling the Dreaming in a... I don't know. Did they leave out... Describe, didn't they leave out describing a few states or something? entirely it's yeah or like or maybe there's parts of europe that are not fully described that's the thing is similar to people's complaints about how the game sometimes focuses overly much on particular geographies mm -hmm. it's like the amount of information we get about life in the interregnum compared with life during yep. pre-shattering or around the resurgence it's a very stark how much is being left out. Yeah, maybe it's because all the Changeling games I've run have been in the Kingdom of Northern Ice. It still weirds me out that Freehold and Hidden Glens had that one chapter about my old neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But that's outside of that, there's like a few paragraphs about the entire kingdom. Yeah. Which includes all of Canada and Alaska. So like, I feel your pain. <laughs> you know, it's like I've had to do that anyway with Changeling. You know, I do have the Concordia structure and stuff, right? I'm not like trying to figure out. There is representatives going to the Parliament of Dreams, at least, which I find hilarious to be the exotic, otherworldly thing that for an American audience, but that's another story. But yeah, the heavy lifting would be creating the place you're in, and the NPCs, and the setting, the nitty-gritty yeah. details, which, even in the US, 
it's not like there's much description of most of that either, right? Like if you're not in San Francisco or the Kingdom of Willows, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the infuriating thing is when we get like a tantalizing bit about a polity that existed in Colorado in the 50s. And it's like, yeah. wait, wait, what was that? You know, before the kingdom structure of Concordia was established, it's like how many different commoner based little states were around and what were mm -hmm. they like and how were they run? And we just have no data. Actually, I, there is a bigger problem with that actually in C20. Most of the description we had of the interregnum was from first and second edition. Right. Yeah. And C20 <laughs> has so many more autumn she. Yeah. Like to the point where it just can't be quite the same setting. There's just too many. Because like before this, basically all the she that were remaining were Skaha and they didn't have the title background. Like it was very, and like hardly anyone knew about them and they were elusive. Maybe they're still she. You could, it'd be easy to come up with that setting. But like if you're going to bring in a whole bunch of autumn she is still an option, I don't know what you, what that means for the politics. Or if you're going to have the same Arcadians kicking around 30 years or 50 years in some cases after they arrived, it's like, well, certainly there should yeah. be commoners who remember before they came back and remember what life was like in the interregnum. So why don't they ever talk about it? Yeah. But I can imagine that this is how they define their collective history around those four kind of milestones mm -hmm. in a general way. And kits might define their specific history around specific events related mm -hmm. to them. And then individual changelings assessing moments around how happy or powerful they were at each step of the way. Yeah. If you were to do a pre-Sundering game also, I think you probably need more than a mythic age, but that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah. Like whatever history you go with, you, I don't think it would just be all one thing. To be discussed when we reach Dark Ages Fae. Yeah. <laughs> so with all of this in mind, like the relationship that changelings have with their chimerical history, how do you think this might be at variance with their take on human history? Hmm. Because from my perspective, I think it's still probably made up of watershed moments, but just different ones. And some of them further back than most mortals would have a relationship to. Like they might remember the Black Death in some kind of immediate way, mm -hmm. but probably the resurgence is the thing that directly impacts all of their daily lives in a way that the moon landing didn't for most humans. Like the moon landing mm -hmm. was like, wow, that's amazing for probably about a month. And then people moved on infamously, uh, you know, yeah. the Apollo missions after the fact, they're like, yeah, why bother? We already went to the moon. We got there. We're done. It did go for like 10 years, but yeah, it was. Yeah. Still... But th there was the risk yeah. of it being canceled. There was the, yeah. people were over it. I wouldn't say it was a month. It went back to it before, but it Six definitely months. did decline <laughs> over time. Again, what are we talking about for history here? We are talking about the, the world of darkness, and yeah. that opens up this whole other can of worms. Like a lot of history, especially if you're, if you're talking about any of the other games, when they talk about the history, a lot of it's stuff that was taking ideas made up in the 19th and 20th century and projecting <laughs> it as real. So yeah. that changes a lot of things. Plus, you just have all this mythic stuff like there's a modern idea of what it was like around the time of uh, Plato, Aristotle, Alexander, that period of like the Hellenistic, like around Athens and Hellenistic world, right? Vampire has its own thing going on. And oh, doesn't it just? Yeah. Like, how do you fit the flood? It like, <laughs> this is, yeah. Well, so I think about something like the Renaissance, which is very thinly described in Changeling. And when I think mm -hmm. about it, on the one hand, it's like, 
okay, yeah, there was this flowering of ideas that surely they must have enjoyed, but at the same time, it wasn't that long after the shattering and they must have still been reeling from it to an extent. And it's part of this period that is for them defined by their severance from the dreaming. So does that mean Mm -hmm. they look at the Renaissance and think like, yeah, it was okay, I guess. You know, like... But that's a whole other thing too that like, if you read World of Darkness books in general about when they're describing history from that period and earlier and the Dark Ages book, and Sorcerer's Crusade, Mage Sorcerer's Crusade, their view of history is very different from real-world history, too. Like, I don't think calling it Dark Ages in the 13th century makes any sense. (laughs) But that's what they did, right? And they have this very grim, dark view of things that, like, before the Black Death, that I don't know if that's quite accurate. And then the Renaissance is when, leading up through the Enlightenment and whatnot, it's when you had most of the people, like, burned for heresy and things like that. Although not nearly as many of them were burned as pop history books would have us believe. So there's no. also... Or killed. Yeah. It's not like you suddenly had this free-thinking burst of you can do whatever you want in the Renaissance. It's more like there were these different views and they kept shifting around. And if you had picked the wrong one and a new one comes in, you're in trouble. Right. But to your point about those sort of ideas established in the 19th century or whatever, that applies yeah. to this case as well like the whole concept of the dark ages was after the renaissance looking back that's how they defined it and during the dark Mm -hmm. ages i mean there were several moments that were just as flourishing of knowledge as you know in different parts of the world oh yeah middle ages especially like if you're talking about yeah Yeah. the the 6th century and 12th century were not the same at all right i do like though the trope of a changeling arriving at like a historical exhibit or something and being able to say, I actually didn't quite happen that way, kind of pointing again mm-hmm. to that subjectivity because that variance between what they remember and what humanity records is like, mm-hmm. and it, I think it's more interesting to me than like a vampire remembering. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. It feels close. I mean, they'll also have flawed memories too, but yeah, sure. Not the mists flawed, but it's still like, I don't get the impression if you can remember with you know, a photographic memory of a thousand years ago. Yeah. Oh, speaking of a thousand years ago, I have in my notes something about ancient pacts and oaths and mm. a note that I wanted to talk about gargoyles because 1,000 years ago, superstition and the sword ruled. Was it time? Mm-hmm. Anyway. Oh, it's, it's 1,025 years ago. Now. <laughs> but I like that... I like the gargoyles take on it because when it comes to things like triggers to end spells and oaths and stuff, they Mm -hmm. have things like until the castle rises above the clouds, you know, that phraseology, which at the time would be understood as forever, except that it's somewhat trivial to overcome this with magic. Now it would be understood as this makes no sense unless we discover a tricksy interpretation to work around it. So Mm -hmm. I like that the perception of, an indeterminate time scale in a mystical sense has also changed from mm-hmm. one era to another. I mean, purely going off of fantasy media here, but like... Yeah. Historically, there was also a lot of just give what sounds like a big number. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you go far enough back, it wasn't such a big number anymore. Exactly. <laughs> For a thousand years, that could be a right. thing. Somebody would have said Middle English or something. I suppose also, if the dreaming is kind of the collective historical unconsciousness of Earth then it Mm -hmm. also becomes kind of like a dead letter office for memory Mm -hmm. in a way where time ceases to have meaning. And we'll get to that later. But so if you swear on the dreaming, it's almost always going to be more powerful than trying to define rules and conditions for a spell in 
ordinary time because you're playing to different rules from the start. Rules that mm -hmm. don't involve the statute of limitations as well. And I've heard people like saying, oh, it should all just be worn away to banality by this point. Like Some things maybe, it's like telling things on the internet. You can still find a lot of things from the 1990s, but you can't trust that all of it will be there. And the same with oaths. Yeah. A friend of the show, Terry Robinson, slash host of Mage the Podcast, our sister podcast, Take a Drink, has often pointed to fey magic appearing to get stronger or at least not erode over time in the same mm -hmm. way that mage magic does. And I think that's partially true in the sense that I don't think chimerical constructs in the autumn world have any more staying power than a paradoxical no. thing eroded by unbelief. But when it comes to things like oaths or blessings and curses and gesa, dreaming constructs, it does seem to be the case. So in light of the fact that we just dropped our metaphysics episode, do you think there's any particular reason for why that should be? I think it is because those are rooted in the dreaming, not in the autumn. That's like, kind of what I think too. Yeah. yeah. Primarily at least. You can have a treasure. It depends on where you left the treasure, yeah. right? And it's not like every, I mean, we talk about the autumn world and changing the dreaming and it's like heading towards winter, but it's not like banality is literally all-encompassing everywhere by any stretch or ever was there's all sorts of pockets where even if it didn't have a freehold it would still be like a thing can be sort of stored away you could have a family line that never had any autumn people you can have all sorts of mm -hmm. things right you know if it did have an autumn person well the next generation it could still come back because humans still dream they're still connected to the dreaming that connection's yeah. never been completely severed certainly not for all of humanity so if you have something ringing through deep in the dreaming somewhere, it can still affect things today. Yeah. I also used to feel it was kind of unfair that the Shi got to draw on all of those oaths and facts when they resurged. But mm -hmm. I guess from their perspective, it wasn't that no time had passed since they swore them. It was that the amount of time that had passed on Earth didn't matter unless they yeah. had encoded it into the wording and intention in the first place. I think the she were bigger on doing that than other kiths. Not that the other kiths would have. Well, that too, yeah. Like trolls obviously would have, and, and boggins even, and there definitely would have been some. But like, I think also if you had been around for 600 years, you maybe you've already called in those favors. No. Like, I don't think you can hammer home an oath over and over and over again. Eventually it becomes, the, the dreaming will turn on you if you just keep on abusing an oath like that over and over. But yeah. Did you have anything else on history or? My, my, I'll just, I'll briefly drop in my idea that I got from reading mage books back in the day, but I think makes a lot of sense for World of Darkness is if you assume that there's actually more than one independent history, mm -hmm. like you follow a path going back 2000 years in the World of Darkness, and there might've been entirely different worlds that have collided in some weird way. That's just I mean, that's how I make Dark Ages Fey canon for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I could have Dark Ages Fae. I have no problem making Dark Ages Fae canon in the world of darkness. I just don't think it's a canon history for Changeling the Dream. It could be some other. Well, that, that's what I mean. It's, it is yeah. a canon history for Changeling the Dreaming. It's okay. not the yeah. canon history. I still don't see how that line works as a history. But Well, I'll do the heavy lifting and put it on the Storyteller's Vault. Okay. <laughs> anyway, speaking of Fae lives, there's also the issue of reincarnation. So briefly... I guess we should summarize how reincarnation actually works in the game. Okay, so there's the. Are we including Tithbus Slua on this one? Or? Let's leave that to one side for now. Although, yeah. people should sign up for the contest if they haven't already. Yeah. So, yeah, reincarnation. Let's go with Changeling's description of history in world has truth to it and not just something else entirely. So, 
the she at least, and maybe the other Fae before the Shattering, there was the Changeling Way ritual, which is sort of the standard, all the player characters follow that. But even like the regular Fae would still have this period where they die and come back again in some weird form of reincarnation following the Bright Road, or at least the she did. So that's an interesting question on what happens there. Today, how it works with the Changeling Way ritual for all the non-she and the autumn she is you live a human life and you are partially human in some metaphysical way and physically definitely. At some point, hopefully, you go through your chrysalis, you live some amount of life as a changeling, and then you either die knowing you're a changeling or you go through the forgetting, which might be called undone in C20, even though undone meant something. Anyway, something happens to you, assuming you don't get killed with cold iron or something that nasty. You either then forget who you are or you just die. And then at some point, unclear if it's immediate or could be years or decades after, you're reborn into a new human body, not knowing who you are, and then eventually hopefully go through your chrysalis. You just do that over and over again. And by default, you have very vague memories of what this is. But if you take the remembrance background, you're indicating that your character has stronger, although certainly nowhere close to perfect memories of what happened. Does that sound? I think that's pretty much sums it up. That's in terms of action ability from a player perspective, the thing that I know we've talked about before that I like to come back to is the Dax metaphor drawing on mm -hmm. where you're born as a human and you have the human personalities and experiences and a consciousness that is maybe dreamer-like, but still human. And when you awake into the changeling soul inside of you, it's that trigger for true self-understanding, much the same way as a trill feels when a symbiont gets put into their belly. And it's the vessel for memories of the past lives and the lens of chimerical awareness. So you're still yourself, but you're influenced by and strengthened by those pasts. It also makes me think about undoing and in Deep Space Nine, when there's a trill who becomes unjoined with their symbiont, the vessel of all their past lives, they get this like depression and lose the will to live. So I can imagine some kind of parallel there. Yeah, the difference is the trill remembers that they had a symbiont. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a way it's even worse for changelings. They don't know what they're missing. They just definitely miss it. But well, in theory, depending on how undoing is run and the kind of banality and glamour, you might have a baseline mortal who's no longer actively fey but gets these hazy flashes of dreamlike memory from that mm -hmm. time. So And this is one of those addition issues on what undoing means. But yeah. I think that is what C20 undoing means. So so speaking of undoing and different lives, how do we feel about the way remembrance models those past lives for changelings? So I'm trying to remember how it works mechanically in C20 because it's one of those, I imagine it's one of those things that she... It's better rules as written than major werewolf. <laughs> well, I also have the problem I keep thinking of like, was this a LARP rule that I'm remembering? Is this a... So the way that it works in C20 is that whenever you encounter something of the dreaming left non-specified mm -hmm. you can roll intelligence plus remembrance in order to find details about it with the difficulty set by the storyteller mm. you can also use remembrance to replace an ability a number of times per story equal to your remembrance rating so it's like oh, oh. yeah in a distant life i did have malay i'm going to use that yeah that's really handy actually it's way more useful than yeah that. It's so mage and werewolf with past lives also allows that, but only once per story and at difficulty eight. Mm -hmm. So, yep. I find it also handy just for the um, 
like it's useful as a storyteller to like bring in plot hooks and stuff. And it's like, oh, you remember this. And it's like, mm-hmm. Ooh, what does that mean? That's the most time I've seen it used, actually. Is, uh... Yeah. It also, to me, I like it because it speaks more to what I see as kind of the direct known experience that changelings have of their own past. They're not calling mm-hmm. up ancestors or trying to project back in time. These are memories that are with them now, you know? Yeah. And it's narratively inconsistent, but I like that the dreaming decides how much you have access to those memories at any given time. Mm-hmm. I also like to have, you might get the impression from reading it, though I don't think it says for certain either way. Mm-hmm. Um, it says normally wipes a changeling's mind clean. I don't quite like that either. I like having fuzzy, non-mechanical something yeah. sometimes, but not like a, certainly not for sub- subbing in an ability or whatever, but a storyteller can still be like, okay, you remember this vague thing? This person gives you a weird feeling. This smell invokes something, you know? Just as an aside, one of my favorite things is when you get like the domino effect of remembering dreams, like you remember Mm -hmm. a dream and then it causes you to remember a very similar or connected dream from like months Mm -hmm. ago that you had forgotten. Things like that. I think are great. This also makes me wonder, like, I think we brought this up before, but it's like, should you use the mists for like mortals remembering their dreams? But that's it. (laughs) Well, with remembrance too, is there more that we could do with it as a trait? And I say this as a shameless self-promotion connection because in the Storyteller's Vault Supplement Book of Days, there are many options. Wasn't at one point there a separate past lives merit and then a remembrance background? Is that in second edition? Uh, Well, in first edition, it was Grimaire was the background. And there was somewhere where you had a separate background for past lives, a separate merit for past lives and a background for remembrance. It was like very strange. But anyway... I'm just in favor of backgrounds other than resources having a wide variety of all-purpose use. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, title doesn't in your game? Yeah. Retinue? Dreamers. You can use it to crash on their couch. But... Well, I think my favorite thing that I did with Remembrance was saying that if you had it, you could use it in conjunction with the Dreamcraft cantrip to kind of do hypnotic self-regression. Which I mm. fun. Maybe you could tie that into Kronos somehow. Well, we'll get to that momentarily. I just have one last question on the subject of yeah. reincarnation, which is, do you do past lives come up often in your games? And if so, how do you yes. handle them? I usually handle them by, okay, so like the last game I ran, it was a driving revenge from actually the shattering, and then, but also from an event that happened around the Accordance War was driving for revenge. Um, but I've definitely had it come up a lot, both in terms of people taking up previous things they had in a previous life, I mean, for she, it comes up a lot. That's uh, how they kind of need the past lives to have it relevant for a lot of stuff yeah. for the she. But even other characters, like you could even have like in a LARP, two characters who just meet suddenly realize they were lovers in a previous life or something. Like, Which can get really awkward. Yeah, you talk to the players first. Good, generally good advice. I wouldn't say every PC always has used it, but it. I think every Chronicle I've played in or run, at least one PC, it's become significant for them. Yeah. I think I've hardly ever had it come up, maybe like once or twice. And I'd I'd like to do more with them because I think they do offer a lot of possibilities. Mm -hmm. As much as I feel like changeling the game looks backwards, Mm -hmm. players and storytellers very rarely do, at least in my experience. But yeah. Ah, I don't all the stuff's always like the conflicts are always rooted in history in the game zone. Well, and like I've spoken before about my desire to put together some kind of mechanics to run a generational game, like from mm-hmm. incarnation to incarnation even. So, yep. 
But yeah, that's we talk about those little things like what happened in the 1950s. I'm like, you were there in a different yeah. form. And you remember it. Yep. I need that nailed down for a chronicle or else things get messy. Hmm. It's, it's almost as bad as if you could change kits every year. <laughs> you kind of need to know that if that's true or not in your game. Interesting. You should bring up the cyclicality of the year mm-hmm. since that is the next thing on my notes list. Yes. So when we think about like time and the abstract, for anyone who's not aware, the wheel of the year that's used in Changeling that uses Samhain and Beltane and the solstices and equinoxes as its kind of you know main points, that's the game's Celtophilia on full display, uh, mm-hmm. which many branches of Western neo-paganism draw on this Celtic structure of the year or an interpretation. Let's of say it. reconstructed. Well, so regardless, they've informed the way the Fey year is laid out in Changeling, yeah. on top of which you have various other festivals and stuff. So to me, the cyclicality and the festivity aspects are kind of a smaller scale version of Fey existence writ large, because it shows, you know, they've had the rise and fall of their fortunes over the centuries, marked by globally significant events like the shattering, the resurgence. And that's echoed in this much shorter term rise and fall of the earth state over the course of the year, marked by regionally significant events. So it ties in the kind of grand narrative of Fayness to the much more immediate earthbound. And I like that because those to me are two of the main mm-hmm. aspects of Fay existence, that kind of ethereal, oniric self, and then the very grounded in the in nature and everything. And when you're saying Fay, you really mean Kithane. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Because it raises the question of like, well, what happens in the tropics? So yeah. the Nunahi also have a cyclic thing. And that makes sense for where the Nunahi are described because they also had the similar seasons. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, there's lots of parts of the world where many people have lived a very long time and that do not have the, the dry court and the rainy court. Yeah. Although I think there's still parts where there is no seasonal weather, but I think a lot of places do have seasonal weather. I think the the most common is you have two, three, four, or six seasons. Yeah. Like I know India. Yeah, they got the monsoon and stuff. So that's... yeah, but there's there's also like dry winter and wet winter. Mm-hmm. So like there's yeah, I think regardless of the specifics of the cyclicality in question, you could still make it work because like. The Nunyahe shattering, for example, may not be the same as the Kithane shattering, different causes, different times, but it still occurred. And, you know, we looked at, um, well, the merfolk might be the exception, because I don't think the weather changes that much at the bottom of the sea. At the bottom of the sea? No, it doesn't. Yeah. I do think you could come up with other systems for other parts of the world that can make this work. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of stuff that really interests me. As a tangent question to that, does the metaphor work for something like endless winter? I do think the whole idea of endless winter has to be... First of all, it's debated in setting. The Kithane cannot agree on if it's going to actually be endless or just very long. Which is sort of academic because it's going to be hard to survive either, right? It also depends whether you see it as dark glamour or banal stasis. That's true banal darkness anyway but it's also because the world of darkness had the whole oh the world's going to end soon like actually end in a very unnatural way like yeah an endless winter is not natural for the earth and armageddon is also not just winter (laughs) yeah yeah there are uh catastrophes great catastrophes maybe the cathane won't survive but that's different from the dreaming not surviving 
going back to your comment earlier about the way people used to talk about these things in terms of like, oh, a thousand years, you know, mm -hmm. something like the end of the world or winter, it kind of is interesting to think about, well, what if it's the end of the world just for right here? Or what if it's winter just for this region? Yep. You know, I think that banal stasis seems more universal and maybe generalizable to places that don't have an actual climactic winter to follow mm -hmm. the metaphor. But yeah, I don't know. It's just food for thought, really. Yeah, I find I find the equating winter with banality actually really weird. Well, in the kingdom of northern ice, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's like, pretty, <laughs> but oddly equating banality with autumn makes total sense to me. So that's... Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe a better way to think about it is... So I would say one of the themes around this in the game is that the wheel is kind of spinning off its axis with the Yodu mm -hmm. being kind of the prime example of that. They used to be these seasonal reincarnators and then the sundering and the shattering divorced mm -hmm. that progression from the natural world and made it a purely banality related thing. There are Fae, notably the Shadow Court, who say bringing about winter will lead to spring all the sooner. Although some are content mm -hmm. to keep winter going as long as possible because it means they'll be in charge and they think it's all dark glamour. Yeah. But the point is that the way things used to be isn't necessarily the way they are now. And the mm -hmm. more pragmatic changelings should worry that the other changelings, their fellows, are maybe being too optimistic about the cycle continuing to turn. Yeah. Like, is it just a series of different ages and you never come back again to the previous age? Even if it doesn't always turn into a, an endless terribleness, maybe it'll just keep changing differently. No, for sure. Forever. Yeah. I don't know how many people like to dig into this kind of thing when it comes to the setting of their individual game, but I do think it's the kind of thing the Fae would discuss amongst themselves in the idle mm -hmm. moments around the Balefire. So. Yeah. I mean, if the mists are covering up the past, there's definitely an, something obscuring the future. Hmm. We'll get to talking about prophecy maybe in a bit, mm -hmm. but getting into the more magical side of dealing with time, what do we think about Kronos, the art, and time, the realm, especially as updated for C20? I mean, the previous Kronos had problems, remember? But yeah, but I find C20 Kronos a bit too meh. Like, I, oh, it's, it, I it's, love it. It's not weird <laughs> enough for me. Okay, I'm interesting. I think it's plenty weird and it's completely goofy and I adore it. But uh, yeah, okay. Kronos Four is cool, but <laughs> I guess maybe because earlier Kronos, Kronos First Edition, owed more to things like Temporis and the Time Sphere as its points of reference, whereas C twenty just mm -hmm. kind of does what it wants. <laughs> so it, it is one of the art updates that I truly, truly adore. And the time realm too. I mean, the time realm, like the time realm didn't even exist in first edition. So that's why Cronus yeah. was created. Well, the time realm is like, okay, first edition didn't exist. Second edition, it was basically useless. Like, yeah, there were ways to use it, but like when you have to do like rules, lawyering and, and all that stuff, power gaming, just to make it do anything that was now it's it's interesting i like it but it's it's too powerful it's um, it, yeah well i want to make it as interesting but not quite as powerful would be great but. yeah i was trying to think about the limits to its power and i do keep coming back to you can't actually make a permanent ongoing cantrip with it you can make a very long lasting one yeah. or a renewing one 
but not like this is going to last for a hundred years full stop, you know? No, but maybe if, okay. So the trigger aspect is really, well, the yeah. Problem. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like, you can take as many cantrips as you want, throw them up behind as many triggers as you want for long enough to be relevant for your chronicle. And like, that's yeah. just too much, especially combined with the whole, you can spend glamour to not need to actually have that level of time realm. Yeah. I've had troubles with it, with time three specifically in games. And it's like, I have to house rule for it because as written, both the re- letter and spirit are just too powerful. I don't say that much in role-playing games, if you noticed, but or in Changeling, yeah. but this one's just, I'm just going to use this with Wayfair and just have a bunch of different triggers for whenever I start a fight. And now I just have way too many Quicksilver successes all the time. But I mean, every game that I played in where someone had Time Realm, I feel like we always homebrewed something around triggers specifically. Yeah. Because it is, it is a very story-driven conception of time, which is appropriate for Changeling. So you do want like, those kind of when X happens, then yeah. Y goes off. You want that in your game. Yeah. But I understand your the mechanical difficulties that you're pointing to. Like if there was a certain number of triggers you can keep going right, 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 by right. something. Cap it at like intelligence or something. Yeah. It does make um, Dragon's Eye actually have a point though. Regardless, I understand your point about it being difficult to balance mechanically in relation to propelling the story forward. I think it needs some house rules of some sort if you're running a game. If you're listening to this and running a game, try to house rule that time three. Maybe that'll be our next contest. Yeah. Relatedly, how do you handle time in the dreaming? I have them go into the dreaming and I don't decide how long it's going to take out of the dreaming until they come out of it. I tend to just go with a whim based on what I think would be fun. It's like, oh, you came out and it's only been an hour, even though you're across the country. Or, ah, you've been gone for a year. You're you're fired from your job. Make sure the players know that that kind of thing can happen, but I could have that do that very easily. Once again, there's guidance around this in Chapter 3 of the Homebrew Supplement Book of Days. Mm-hmm. How about you? Besides just Book of Days. Tell you to... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, similarly, I kind of just hand wave it and decide as long as I keep an eye on things like yeah. causality. I want to talk for a minute about one of my favorite time-related things. So in ancient Greek, you had two different words for time in the abstract. You had chronos, which is where we get chronology, etc., which is the measurable, discrete, abstract, Mm -hmm. quantitative time. But then you also had kairos, which is more like the right time for something or the right moment, more qualitative. Mm -hmm. And I like running the dreaming as operating more under that principle. Mm -hmm. So it's less about how long is something going to take and more about is it the right time for the next thing to happen? And I think that bleeds through in certain cases, things like the temporal bounds of oaths that we talked about, the memories that stick out in remembrance, when a chrysalis will happen, with the story-driven time, when the climax occurs, things like that. I don't think I need, for example, a separate art around this. If we have the Kronos art, why not the Kairos art? But just when putting the narrative of a game together, it's interesting to think about that alternate idea of time and how it manifests and how that informs navigating the dreaming and surviving in the dreaming in a different way than just like, well, how long is this going to take? That's banality, I feel, to bring seconds and minutes and hours into the dreaming. When you're saying about causality, yeah, what do you mean by that in relation to the dreaming? 
because there's two meanings you could do for causality here, and I might have a different one than you. All I mean is that if you decide to have time for whatever reason flow backwards, which I think is yep. completely legitimate when you're doing a dreaming game, just be careful not to create temporal paradoxes that are going to give yourself yeah. a headache later. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have, you can pop in before you left, but you do not pop into the history of the game we've been running. Like yeah. only in a way that wouldn't cause like, yeah, paradoxes and things like that. I hate to say it, but Avengers Endgame is probably a great point of reference for like, to, you uh, know, figuring these things out. It's the kind of fast and loose with science thing that works for a changeling game. I don't go quite that far for just walking through a trot on the dreaming. No, 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 of course. But if you if you do end up wanting to get deep into the time travel possibilities, mm -hmm. obviously this can get into very wiggly territory that players at least will have a field day with, but you'll actually have to do the heavy lifting yeah. to use that term again. Now, I am tempted to just create TARDIS as a level 5 treasure and the player can mm. come across. And it's a weird treasure freehold hybrid. That's its own game, I would say. Yeah, this is now the thing. If you want yes. to introduce that kind of time travel in the hands of the players, you can do it with like an NPC. But any powerful NPC you introduce that's just causing the players to do stuff is, is its own problem. But yeah, yeah. So the last sort of tranche of things I want to talk about is about life stages versus seemings. Yeah, and that's that's another thing, like the whole she during the interregnum question. The bulk of the information on seemings we get is before C20. Right. And now seeming works very different. I, I just have open questions on what this means. Yeah. It's a good example, if I can piggyback off of the thing I was just talking about, of the chirological rather than the chronological. Mm -hmm. So about life stage advancement, that's a very Kairos kind of time. And those boundaries were never intended to be like hard boundaries. There were exceptions to the rules from the start. So there's another house rule. If you'd have to change what seemings do mechanically a bit, but you could just have it where your banality rating determines your seeming. Like it's, <laughs> oh, you've gained so Ooh. much banality. You're now, you're now this other seeming. Well, like, if I had my druthers, I'd probably reinvent the system entirely with something more like Aria from Denizens, but that's that's a project for another life cycle. Yeah. I do think it's hard to switch. <laughs> yeah. So that's one of the frustrating things about C20, because they tell us it's more about attitude towards life and the world, and they say, oh, you can go from grump to childling, but they don't really give us rules for when that happens or more importantly they don't really explore the consequences of that yeah like does the player just say i want to be a childling now and it's like okay it's a large infusion of glamour i think that has to do it but you know this is a very fundamental change to somebody's attitude and outlook on the world and it's like does the rest of the motley just roll with it you know and it's unexpected like at least with the pegging seemings to a linear progression of ages you kind of know which direction people are headed and what mm -hmm. to expect and how to prepare. So, you know, this is getting into my note item. What are the pros and cons for doing one way over the other? <laughs> Points in favor of the old system. What would what would you say would be something? The old system, I mean, I do think it was a bit too rigid, but yeah, it did fit this nice progression. And especially in LARPs, which was a good chunk of my changing experience, going through a transition of seeming was a big deal, like way bigger than your friends got a birthday, even when you were a kid. It's like, 
you are a wilder now. You are a grump now. Like that's a huge thing that like, yeah, yeah it feels kind of lost now. Well, they've mechanized it with respect to banality triggers and maybe some slightly different temper rules, but yeah. Oh yeah. And how did Gilly do work in C20 now? Uh, in the core book or in the homebrew supplement kiss book you'll do well, now in the core book, book it doesn't make any sense with what we said because it implies yeah. you keep you can't go back yeah no i mean it's open questions so for me the old system one thing that i appreciated as a queer person in the late 90s and early aughts is that it models the intergenerational transfer of knowledge in a way that i felt largely mm. cheated of mm. and I appreciate that because I like looking at changeling as a queer metaphor from a you know much simpler point of view. It also creates, I think, another axis of splat that's stable enough to mm-hmm. explore dynamics on, because I don't think in the C20 system, you can really kind of make overt commentary about red cap childling culture or satyr grump culture. Like in kids book satyrs, we yeah. get a whole exploration of, how satyrs choose to die and it's like that's meaningless now because hey they might just become a childling again so yeah i do think also having three seemings only and when the periods were also i might want to tweak because i don't think a 13 year old and a 24 year old really have that much in common but i don't think it's about having much in common i think it's about having a specific thing in common yeah and it would have been nice to have like older changelings because the book wants them right To be fair, the new system, I enjoy that it doesn't shoehorn everyone into a single mode of Mm -hmm. thinking, like within a certain age range. I don't think the old one necessarily did, but it's easier to read it that way. Like a lot of things in Z20, I think on the balance, I like it better than the old way, but I think there are trade-offs and there are things lost. Yeah. As I think we've probably said on the Discord multiple times at this point, both systems have advantages and disadvantages. It's just that it does in a fundamental way slightly change the setting. And I don't know that one is better or worse, but you kind of have to acknowledge the differences. Certain things just work better. And an issue with C20 is there's just less information about this new setting. So, yeah. I'll also say in terms of the real life stuff, aside from the intergenerational transfer, I think second edition system and first edition system makes it easier to explore ageism if that's a thing that Mm -hmm. you kind of want to point to i don't think it's impossible in c20 but it's kind of heightened in second edition but maybe that's grump me talking i don't know you can tell the writers i don't think many of them had reached 30 yet um as the line went on and they all started crossing that line it's interesting to see the hitting 30s being a distinct thing that has impact i totally agree with i just think there should be more stages but well i guess that's all i wanted to say about life stages read the enchanted as we said in the enchanted episode i think that's still the best source book for kind of hashing out a lot of the particulars of these you can still have the life stages in enchanted if you just stop tying it to seeming like you still have i know you could have whatever seeming but like it's the fact that you're 5, 15, and 35, is, and 65 are all going to mean something Yeah, beyond just... And I, yeah. I disagree with people who say that it shouldn't, because that totally throws out the fact that Changeling, half of it is about your humanity. So, Yeah, it could mean something weird, like your five-year-old Changeling might be precocious 
but you're still five, right? Like, yeah. We do have some questions from the peanut gallery. Yes. So, and by the peanut gallery, I mean Terry Robinson. No, there are some others. There are other folks oh, there chimed in. Yeah. Oh, okay. So Elris asks. Back in second edition, Kronos was almost an exclusively she art. C20 relaxed this restriction, but even then it's mentioned that many she still regard it as their art. Time is the affinity realm of the Arcadians. Is it ever explained why the she gravitated towards Kronos and why it is theirs? I know the she brought the art with them during the resurgence, but that implies they were its prime practitioners beforehand as well. I'd like to refer you to Book of Days, now available on the storyteller. No, um... Does it explain why? I mean, Noble's the Shining Host. That's when it was she time, right? Yeah. So Noble's the Shining Host really, I think, explores this more than anywhere else. And my take on it is that the she are the kids with the slipperiest relationship to time, I think for kind of two primary reasons. One is it's Tolkien's fault because the Tolkien elves deeply informed the creation of the she and nostalgia mm-hmm. is very much a part of their identity as much as nobility. But then mythologically, I think of like under the hills where the she lived, a lot of the folklore deals with how time passes differently. So it is sound as an aspect of their characters. Mm -hmm. And I like with Kronos in particular, I accept that commoners now have access to it, but I don't really retcon it so that, oh, it's always been like that. And I like having the she are going to raise an eyebrow if they see you using Kronos. I kind of put it like sovereign and then like Kronos and naming are like a pseudo she-ish and like in Concordia, you're not going to be like executed because you learned a secret, whatever, but it's not, it's not illegal, but it's, but a vigilante she may take issue, which yes. is a storybook. Or they might just be grumpy at you for having it. <laughs> well, right. Like if you're playing a commoner who has Kronos, that to me is sufficient justification to take like the enemy flaw. Cause there's a she who absolutely yeah. thinks that's awful and wants to stop you. And I mean, you can play a she with like way too much metamorphosis going on. And right. Yeah. Some like puka commoners might be like, mm. precisely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then Luna Andromeda Vebe asks, how do you think is the best way of handling a high remembrance rating like four or five? How much detail should a player put on their former lives and how those lives affect the game? Uh, Mechanically, I don't think it's, I mean, never let a player brute force a piece of information out of you that you don't want to give them for free, but I don't think a high remembrance rating breaks the game mechanically all that much. In terms of specific lives, I'd almost say like for every dot of remembrance you have, for remembrance X, you can have x different past lives each of which has x specific background details and it doesn't have to have any kind of mechanical impact but that gives you x squared story hooks to work with you know yeah i'm kind of big on like you know players can just make stuff up in their backstory in session i don't like a giant info dump of pages and pages being handed to me as a storyteller from a player I'm okay with them having that in their head or they wrote it down somewhere, but like I want, if it's going to be part of the canon of our game, it should be brought up in play. But Well, it is when they use remembrance to spike an ability roll. <laughs> yeah, but that's not just the ability roll. Like I would also, if there was like a contentious issue where you're like, mm, like a lot of backstory is just color and it's like, yeah, go ahead and make that up. But if you're like, it's starting to feel more oomph to it, maybe I'd have a remembrance roll some difficulty and you need a certain number of successes or something. Yeah. And, you know, I could be like, if you fail, you can, your character can still remember that. 
it's just probably not going to be true. So yeah. the other caution I'd say is to not let that player domineer the game as they keep multiplying their character stories. You can also have that just as like, oh, you're playing a issue who's like 40 years old, which is fine now in C20, right? It's like, well, you've lived a big life in this lifetime. Yeah, right? that's it's fair. Like, if they're just making, it's like, if they're pulling a Dax, right? And they're yeah. just saying, yeah, I remember when I was this person and I did this. You're like, okay, well, I'm, nice anecdote. I'm more saying it if you go the route of using those anecdotes to build things into the story. Like if they do come up with things on the fly and you record them and then later you bring it back and say, hey, remember how oh. you said your Boggan swordsman from the 1600s was yeah. a master swordsman? Guess who's back? His mortal enemy from that period. Oh, yeah, I do that a lot too. Like remembrance is a great way to justify. Yeah, It can also be the handy info dump. Like don't make them roll at that point though. That's in general like a gumshoe role right. i guess like a, it's a good just just tell them what they need to know because they they're the person who knows all this back stuff so history stuff so so then chig asks how do you recommend playing a high remembrance kid somebody whose current incarnation is 11 years old but who remembers being an ancient warrior or poet or lover same as above really just with yeah. all the inherent caveats about playing children in the game there are so many fictional examples though of genius children and yeah children for the previous lives even and all that if you want to do that presumably you have an idea of how to do it i'd say to emphasize the feeling of discontinuity even frustration at like oh, i'm back in a kid's body again and also the oh, uncanniness yeah. of having one of those yeah like... actually a good inspiration on that there's popped my head is a uh, umbrella academy has a mm. And even with Remembrance 5, as we were saying before, a changeling's past lives should never fully supplant their core current mm -hmm. identity. And that's the final determiner of how mature a character should be, regardless of yeah. where you set that maturity bar at your I mean, table. you could almost have a flaw where it does start to do that, but that's a separate... It's no longer quite under the character of the player's control. Perhaps. There. So then we have a few questions from Terry. Yeah. How do we include prophecy in game? I've managed to have a prophecy workout precisely once in a game where people still talk about, but they don't talk about the 30 times it failed. Well, that sounds like winning at STing to me. <laughs> yeah. They don't talk about the failed ones. Hey, you're fine then. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing I do with prophecy is it's like a goal for your chronicle now. As a storyteller, it's like if I, if I have a prophecy... And especially in Changeling, where there's all this like weird coincidence dreaming stuff that happens, but you don't even need it to be strictly dreaming things. It's like, there's dawn, there's fate. Like, as a storyteller, there are so many coincidences that are in your control. As long as it's not too detailed, like your prophecy isn't like, on Tuesday at 5pm, you will be... You know, as long as it's vague enough, you can totally make that happen. Or have your words have multiple meanings, so that... There's multiple interpretations that allow the prophecy to be true in a number of different ways. Yep. But you don't have to go like super vague that like newspaper horoscope. Like you can, yeah, you could have something where you're like, oh, that actually did happen. You could also just have them be avertable in your setting. Yeah. Like have the goal not be to have the prophecy come to pass, but to prevent it. Well, I mean, you mentioned Tolkien before, but like that whole uh, cannot be, was it somebody couldn't be killed by a man? Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think that actually might fit better with Terry's next question, which is yes. how do we include a sense of predestination without it simply being railroading? Does it matter? With predestination, though, and I guess with prophecy in general, 
the media item that was occurring to me while kind of reading over these was an early episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer called Prophecy Girl. I'm going to slightly spoil this is the season one finale. So if you haven't watched Buffy and you want to close your ears for 30 seconds or whatever, Buffy learns that she is prophesied to die and, you know, she's freaked out because she's like a 16 year old teenage girl and she ends up fighting like the elder vampire who does indeed bite her and drops her in a pool of water and she briefly drowns. But then her friend Xander shows up a couple minutes later and revives her with CPR. So on the one hand, it's like cheating out of a prophecy that's full of portent and is hundreds of years old and super important. And on the other hand, I love it because it's being undercut by this kid who paid attention in health class. Yeah, but she did die. That's the whole thing. She did die. She died for like two minutes. So the prophecy was fulfilled. Yeah. But everyone's interpretation of the prophecy was incorrect. And in the context Mm -hmm. of Changeling, I like it because it demonstrates the power of human friendship, just simple and by itself over like these massive portentous things. Mm -hmm. So that to me works best in the context of Changeling, especially compared with other World of Darkness games. So that's one way to yeah. include it. An- another way, like, don't fill your game so stuffed filled with prophecy and yeah. there's no room for anything else. Like, that's very important. Like, a lot of prophecies could be side things. Like, you're not prophesizing how the fundamental chronicle will end, right? You're prophesizing this event will happen. Yeah. And then the player characters with knowledge of that prophecy could use that to achieve their actual aims. If the prophecy happens or doesn't happen, that shouldn't, I don't think that should generally be no, no. the most important thing in your chronicle. And then there's the last question. What are some faulty analogies about a changeling you could use to discuss time? <laughs> the example that Terry gives here is time is not a stream, it's an ocean. I actually kind of like that for the dreaming, to be honest, because <laughs> you never know which direction yeah. temporally you're going to move in or what you're going to bump into. Yeah. Like, I mean, the jo- there's the joke about the timey-wimey right, ball from, yeah. like, Doctor Who. But I think Doctor Who does provide some inspiration here if you are going to be doing a lot of time stuff. Where the Doctor, someone, and Time Lords in general, understand time in ways that humans never could. But the Doctor trying to explain it right. <laughs> is, like, really advanced quantum physics and physics stuff. Trying to explain it to someone who has no background. And you're like, well it's very rare to come up with something that where the analogy is perfect. So you're just going to be saying things you're like, that being said, (laughs) when it comes to the changeling specifically experience and water metaphors, I think actually the water cycle metaphor is an elegant one because if life is a stream flowing into the ocean, or if the the lifespan is a stream flowing into the ocean of the dreaming, eventually bits of those lives will rise up, form clouds and precipitate out into the next one. So that's mm-hmm. a very elegant way to model the reincarnation yeah. cycle. Now I'm trying to picture like what it means if you're raining over the ocean. What is that? Well, then you just incarnate in the dreaming, I guess. I don't know. You're a denizen. You're a denizen. Perfect. You're a rainy, rainy denizen. Yep. Or the time for an anime, I guess would be the... Yeah. But other metaphors where... I guess you could use like weird road metaphors or something or... Hmm. In any case, there are more directions than forward and back in terms of time. Time is like that poorly taught physics class you had where it just doesn't make any sense. And uh... Time is a Tom Waits song. Yeah. Anyway, have we run out of time to talk about time? 
I think we have. So, um, Check us out. yeah, you can find us changelingthepodcast.com you can send us an email podcast at changelingthepodcast.com please join our hopping discord where we can reminisce about the past and the future at uh, discord.me slash ctp we're on mastodon changelingpod at dice.camp and we're on uh, we have a facebook page changeling the podcast links will be provided in the show notes yeah so once again or once future. I'm Josh. I was going to say, I'm the once and future Puka. And remember, welcome to Changing the Podcast. Come for the glamour, uh, stay for the vibes. Merry meet, and merry part, and merry Tyler Moore. We propose that additional seemings can be generated by combining two of the existing ones to represent a changeling who's at the transitional cusp between one life stage and another. For example, a wildling is reverting from adolescent brio to innocent wonder north of the wall. A Grolder is a world-weary conspiracy theorist who nevertheless picks himself up for one more adventure. And chumps are those unfortunates going straight from the halcyon days of make-believe to gig work and forgetting where they left their keys. Not every seeming transition is an advantageous one, after all. What is advantageous, at least for us, is supporting our show by leaving a review on the podcast listening platform of your greatest convenience. You can also sign up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast and join the hallowed ranks of our patrons who include Derek, Dorcatus, Oreo, Razkaboos, Sanchiger, Sija, Terry Robinson, and Tricerabeth. As Spooptober begins cycling to its close, we extend our thanks to these folks and to you, the listeners. Until next time, whatever the meaning of that word might be, keep on dreaming.